We turn this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 20, and read verse 17 through verse 38, for the love of the church. Acts 20, again reading at verse 17. From Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called to him the elders of the church. And when they had come to him, he said to them, You yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia how I was with you the whole time, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. Oh, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. When he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him, grieving especially over the word which he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they were accompanying him to the ship. Father in heaven, we see in this passage of Scripture a man who loved the church. A man who served, a man who was willing to suffer, a man who was eager to share with that congregation his his own resources, and most importantly, Lord, his willingness to share your word. Father, would you give us today 
Give us a love for the church, the body of Christ, that which you have purchased with your blood. Guide us, we pray, in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Chuck Colson has written a book entitled The Body. And in that book, he challenges believers to renew their love for the church. He describes what is happening in the lives of many professing Christians who have been infected with a spiritual virus he calls radical individualism. Here's what he says. He says, modern Christians, especially evangelicals, see the Christian faith primarily, if not exclusively, as the gospel of Jesus and me. Christianity is simply a personal relationship with Jesus. Accept Christ into your life and you will be saved. He goes on to say this is true as far as it goes, but it falls woefully short. Although we are justified through faith, Christianity is much more than just a private transaction with Jesus. Then he says this. He says, when we confess Christ, God's response is to bring us into his church. And then he says, and our commitment to the church is indistinguishable from our commitment to him. He said again, our commitment to the church is indistinguishable from our commitment to him. When you examine the New Testament scriptures, you will notice that Colson, he's right on. He, he is correct. If we love the Lord, we will love his church. Or put another way, if we don't love his church, how can we say then that we love the Lord? He is the head. We are the body We are connected with Him, and if we love Him, we will love the church. Do you love the church? Do you love Grace Free Lutheran Church? If this is your place of worship, you ought to. If you love Jesus, you will love the church. Apostle Paul is a wonderful example of a man who had a great love for the church, and he illustrates this in three very clear ways. First of all, when we love the church, we are ready to serve. Ready to serve. Paul reminds the Ephesian elders of what he did during the three years that he was among them. He says that from the day that he came into Ephesus until the day that he left, He served the Lord. That's the first thing that he mentions when he gathers these elders from Ephesus. Verse 18 says, when they had come to him, he said to them, you yourselves know from the first day that I set foot in Asia, how I was with you the whole time serving the Lord. Serving him with all humility, Paul says, and with tears and with Trials which came upon me through the plots of the Jews. He loved the church. And you can see his love for the church and how he served them 
in spite of all the trials that came his way as a result of that. You go back to Acts chapter 19, you see what happened when Paul was in that city of Ephesus. Ephesus. In chapter 19, verse 9, when he was forced to leave the synagogue because Jews were speaking evil of the way before the people. There were verbal attacks upon his ministry. Nobody likes to be verbally attacked, right? But he continued there. And he moved to a a building called the School of Tyrannus. There he proclaimed the gospel, having been kicked out of the synagogue. He went there and And there was more trouble for him because God was changing the lives of many within the city of Ephesus. And that was not appreciated. And the reason why it wasn't appreciated is because that was bringing a financial impact on the city. When you start messing with people's money, look out. See what was happening. There were those who practiced magic in the city. And they came to the Lord and they got rid of their books. They burned them in a big bonfire. And Luke says, as he he describes this, they counted up the price of those books that were burned, 50,000 pieces of silver. Now, if you wonder what that amounts to, that would be, one piece would be about a day's wage, 50,000 days of wages, if my math is correct, that's almost 140 years worth of wages. That was a financial impact on that city. And that wasn't all. Besides that, those who were worshiping idols were turning from their idols, and they were worshiping Jesus. And guess what? The craftsmen that were making all those idols, that affected their bottom line. And they did not like that. So there was a riot that occurred in the city of Ephesus. So when Paul talks about the trials and troubles, that's just a little bit of what he faced in that city. And it would have been easy for him to leave at the first sign of trouble. I'm out of here. But he stayed. He proclaimed the gospel there. He ministered. He served. Even when it was difficult. So let me ask you, do you love the church? And are you willing to use the gifts that God has given you to serve one another, even if it is difficult? Even if it might cost you? Some professing Christians seem to have very little love for the church. And it's evident in their attitude toward serving. They serve if it is convenient. They're available if it doesn't conflict with the other things in their lives that they value as more important. And if they're forced to make a choice, you can guess what the decision of many is. First thing that goes, the connection with the church. There's others who have very little love for the church because they don't see the need to serve At all. It's just show up. Come on Sunday. (laughs) But no involvement, no no desire to to use the the, the gifts that that God has given to us to serve within the, the congregation. I served whole mission churches early in my ministry. Starting with a small 
group of people. One of the congregations I served had about 19 people, I think it was. We met in the, the living room of an old funeral home. Dead church, right? Go ahead, say it. And when people would visit, you know what the common question was? What do you have for youth? What do you have for children? What do you have for on and on and on? I don't know if, I, if there was ever anybody who came and said, how can we serve? What can we do? How can we be a part of helping establish this congregation? So much of it was, what's in it, what's in it for me? I hope that's not your attitude. What's in it for me? That, that is, you won't find joy with attitude. If it's all about what the church can do for me, then I have, I have misunderstood the teaching of the New Testament, right? Because we all have gifts. We're all to use them to serve one another. It's not just about me and my needs. What can I do to help others? Well, secondly, when we love the church, not only ready to serve, but how about this? Willing to suffer? Could it be that we might suffer for the sake of the kingdom of God? We look back at the New Testament church and we see what Paul went through and we think, boy, we'll never have to face that. Well, you see the direction our culture is going? Do you think it might mean someday that you and I in this country might face some kind of suffering? Wherever Paul went in his ministry, he knew that he would suffer. In fact, that was the one thing that was consistent in his life. Uh, Some have said that when he went to a new town, he checked out the jail first. Because he figured he'd end up being there, right? Look what he says in verse 22. He says, and now behold, bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except, except this. He says, the Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city, notice, in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. That's something. He says, I don't know exactly what's going to happen in Jerusalem, but I know Every city I go, there is going to be bonds and afflictions. I'll probably end up in jail, and I'll probably suffer in some way for my desire to serve the Lord. And notice his attitude toward this. Amazing. Verse 24, he says, But I do not consider my life of any account as dear to myself, so that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. You know, for most people, the most precious thing to them is their life, right? What could be more precious than our lives? And yet for Paul says, I don't count my life as as dear to myself. What I desire is to be faithful to Jesus. That's what I value. The calling that God has given me to be faithful to Him, that's what's most important to me. That's convicting, isn't it? 
To think of, of a man with, with that kind of a heart for the Lord, he says that the, the thing that matters most to me is to be faithful to Jesus, even if it means, even if it means that I suffer. I wonder what we would do if that was our experience. I wonder what we would do if, if we were in his shoes, if we knew that everywhere we went, there would be that kind of opposition to our ministry that we suffer. The books that Christians like to read today sheds some light on how many might respond. According to a recent survey, the best-selling books in Christian bookstores are those on self-esteem and self-fulfillment. While missionary biographies and books that encourage self-sacrifice are gathering dust. What does that say about us? It's about me. How can I live a better life? How can I be more happy? Not how can I be used of God? C.S. Lewis once said, If you want a religion to make you feel really comfortable... I don't recommend Christianity. What did Jesus say? If anyone will follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. He made it clear what what it means to be a disciple, didn't he? He wasn't going to try and trick anybody to come in and say, you know, this is going to be just a carnival ride to heaven, and then you find out it isn't, and just like, whoa. That was a bait and switch. We don't want to do that, do we? To give people the idea that that serving the Lord is just going to be one marvelous thing after another and there's no cost, there's no price, there's no serving, there's no suffering. So why was Paul willing to suffer for the sake of the Lord and his church? For one thing, the grace of God had powerfully transformed this man. We know his history. We know what he was like before he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. He was a persecutor. He was a blasphemer. He was a violent aggressor. That's his own words as he describes his life. But Jesus saved him on that road to Damascus and gave him a love for the church that he tried to destroy. That's the power of God, isn't it? He had a love for the church that he was trying to destroy because Jesus changed his life. Amazing. The second thing that moved Paul to be willing to suffer for the sake of the church is that the church is precious to God. This is why he challenged the elders of the church in Ephesus to care for the church as a shepherd cares for the sheep. Listen to what he says in verse 28. He says, Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among whom the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. And this phrase really is powerful. To shepherd the church of God 
which he purchased with his own blood. If you belong to Jesus today, it's because you've been purchased. Somebody paid a price for you. That's Jesus. And that's why the church is precious to Jesus. That's why the church was precious to Paul. And that's why the church ought to be precious to us. Because Jesus purchased it on the cross. One author says the church is the most precious reality on earth. Since the ultimate price was paid for it when the Lord Jesus Christ purchased it with his blood. Is that how you view the church? Is the church precious to you? Is this gathering today precious to you? Or are you just here going through the motions? Or are you here because you love the Lord, you love His people? And the church is precious. When I say the word precious, I think of my dad because he loved that word. Isn't that precious? I can hear him saying. Our grandkids to him were precious. The church of Jesus is precious. And that's why Paul was willing to serve and to suffer for the sake of others coming to know Jesus as their Savior. The church is precious to him. If you love the Lord, you will love his church. But then thirdly, when we love the church, we are eager to share. Eager to share. What do we have to share with others? Well, one thing we have to share is our riches, our material possessions. That's what God has entrusted to us. That's what Paul did while he was in Ephesus. Notice how he encourages the, the elders of the church to do the same. Verse, 20, or verse 33, he says, I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. I'm not in it for the money, he's saying. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the needs of the men who were with me. In everything I showed you, that by working hard, in this manner you must help the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said. What did Jesus say? It is more blessed to what? To give than to receive. Have you learned that lesson? Are you experiencing that in your life? It is more blessed to give than to receive. We are raising a culture that wants to receive, right? You owe this to me. You owe this to me. There's no joy in that. There is blessing when we understand that giving... (laughs) Giving is what God calls us to do. Evidently, some of the believers in Ephesus hadn't learned that because Paul told Timothy, in 1 Timothy, that book was written to Timothy as Timothy was in Ephesus ministering there, and he told him what to say to the rich in the congregation about laying up treasures in heaven. Listen to what he says, 1 Timothy 6. 
verse 17. Paul says, instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us with all things to enjoy. And he says, instruct them to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is life indeed. (laughs) Storing up treasures in heaven. What did Jesus say about that? Where moth and rust do not destroy, where, where thieves do not break in and steal, laying up treasures in heaven. Are we laying up treasures in heaven? Are we seeking just consume all we can? And then one day when we die, guess what? Just leave it all behind. Right? What value is it then? When you stand before God, of what value is it then? Zero. No value at all. There was a man who was visiting a very wealthy farmer in Texas one day. He said, uh, as far as the eye can see to the west, he said, that's my land. I own that. And then to the north, and then to the east, or west, and the south. And he was proud of all that he had accomplished in his years of, of farming and ranching there. His friend just kind of listened and and then finally he said, "Uh, could I ask you a question? He said, sure. He said, how much do you own up there? He said, never thought of it. He said, you're just laying a treasure here. You're going to die. You're going to leave it all behind. Wouldn't it be wise to lay up treasures We've got something to share, right? We've been blessed in, in many ways. Are we investing in, in things of, of eternal value? That's what Paul encouraged them to do. Sharing, giving, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And then he also tells us that we have something even more valuable to share. We have, we have God's Word to, to share and Paul, as he ministered there in, in Ephesus, he describes how, how boldly he shared God's Word. Look at verse 20. He said, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable, teaching you publicly and from house to house, solemnly testifying to both Jews and Greeks of repentance toward God and faith in Jesus. Verse 26, therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Paul says, I was, I was eager to share the word of God with you because you needed it. It was profitable to you. And that's what he says in verse 20. I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable. I was there to to help you and to encourage you and and to strengthen you with God's Word. And that included law and gospel. It included repentance and faith. 
words of warning, words of comfort, because all of that is needed. I did not shrink from declaring to you, Paul says, the whole purpose of God. Holding nothing back. Not picking and choosing things from Scripture and ignoring others. But I shared with you the whole counsel of God. I'm so thankful that I grew up in a church where that was done. My father preached the whole counsel of God. And he used to say, let the chips fall where they may. Not in, a, not in a, you know, an unkind way, but recognizing that, that we, we, we share all of Scripture. We don't pick and choose the things that might be more positive and avoid the things that might be more negative or however people describe. When he arrived in the city where I grew up, after a few Sundays, there was an older lady that said to her son-in-law, he is going to preach the church empty. She was under conviction of sin. And this son-in-law of hers had grown up in a Bible-believing church And at the time, he was not walking close to the Lord, and he said, oh no, he will not preach the church empty. He will preach the church full, because he's proclaiming what people need. They need Jesus. That's what Paul did, right? He proclaimed the need for Jesus. He proclaimed the truth of God's Word, both law and gospel, so that people would see their need for a Savior and embrace the good news of of Jesus. Does that mean everyone will be happy with you if you proclaim the whole counsel of God? I wish that were the case, but it is not the case. There are some people that don't like that. They don't want to hear the truth of God's Word. Isaiah the prophet experienced this in his ministry. Listen to this, Isaiah chapter 30, verses 9 through 11. He says, For this is a rebellious people, false sons, sons who refuse to listen to the instruction of the Lord, who say to the seers, you must not see visions, and to the prophets, you must not prophesy to us what is right. That's something. Don't tell us what's right. Speak to us pleasant words. Prophesy illusions. And then this, get out of the way. Turn aside from the path. Let us hear no more about the Holy One of Israel. Isn't that interesting? They're telling the prophets, don't tell us what is right. Get out of our way. Quit bugging us. We want to live our lives. Don't tell us it's sinful or or wrong? You don't think the Bible is pertinent to our day to day? Wow. How many times have you heard that? Don't tell me that I'm wrong. Don't tell me how to live my life. Just get out of the way. And you know what? Bible believing Christians are looked upon as obstacles 
in our culture today. We've got to get us out of the way. Because we're standing in the way of the new reset, the, the freedom to live any way that we want to live, and we're just a problem. And so our country is going to be divided between those who really want to stand on God's Word and those who don't. Paul warned, didn't he? Second Timothy chapter 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance with their own desires. Wanting their ears tickled. And they'll find people that will tickle them. They'll find them. They're all over. They're all over. So we're seeing this in an alarming way today, but I am thankful there are still some who want to hear the truth. I read about a group of servicemen who asked their new chaplain if he believed in a real hell for lost sinners. He smiled and told them he did not. Of course not. You know what they said to him? then you are wasting your time. If there is no hell, we do not need you. And if there is a hell, you are leading us astray. Either way, we're better off without you. And that ought to be the response to every Bible-believing Christian, to those who would tell us that, the, that God's Word is not true. We don't need you. We don't need you. We stand upon the truth of God's Word. Paul also was eager to share God's word because he knew that he was accountable to God. He would give an answer to God one day for his ministry. Verse 26, he says, Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. That phrase, Innocent of the blood of all men. That reminds us of Ezekiel, the prophet. Ezekiel chapter 33, God told him, he said, Ezekiel, you are a watchman on the wall. There were watchmen, right, who would stand on the wall. They would see if there was an enemy army coming. And they were to warn the city. The army's coming. And what God told Ezekiel, if the watchman sees the enemy coming and warns the people, and they don't listen, their blood is on their hands. But if you see the enemy coming and you do not warn the city, their blood is on your hands. And then he said, Ezekiel 33, 7, As for you, son of man, I have appointed you a watchman for the house of Israel. So you will hear a message from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, O wicked man, you will surely die, and you do not speak to to warn the wicked from his way, that wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require from your hand. 
But if you on your part warn a wicked man to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, he will die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your life. That's the background of this statement that Paul makes. He says, I am innocent of the blood of all men because I told you the truth. I proclaim to you the whole purpose of God. I I taught you everything that was profitable. You cannot blame me if you are lost for all eternity. The sermon that was preached on the day that my father was ordained was from Ezekiel 34. And he said, that made such a huge impact on his life. Knowing that he was responsible to proclaim the Word of God in its truth and purity. And I can remember many times watching him pleading with people to turn from their sin, to put their trust in Jesus. Many times he would say, I don't want your blood to be on my hands. I don't want to stand before God one day and you say to me, you never told me. That's what Paul said to the Ephesian church. I am innocent from the blood of all men because I proclaimed the truth of God's word. Whenever I step into the pulpit, I am reminded of that responsibility. Sometimes people ask me, do you get nervous preaching? And I said, not in the sense of standing before people. I, you know, I've been doing this for years. That's not the issue. But I said, the awesome responsibility of being faithful to the Word of God. That's what causes my heart to say, Oh God, help me. God, give me the wisdom to understand Your Word and and enable me to, to share it in a way that is clear. People can understand and that there's no question of two things. We are sinners, and we need a Savior, and that Savior is Jesus. Do you know Jesus today? Do you love Him? Is He precious to you because you are precious to Him? He shed His blood you on the cross. And when we love Jesus, we will love His truth. Because it's precious to Him. And we'll be ready to serve, willing to suffer if need be, eager to share that which God has entrusted to us. And most importantly, sharing that message of good news that Jesus Christ has come to be our Savior.
Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the life of men like Paul who loved you, who loved your church, who were willing, Father, to serve and to suffer and to share and to give their life, Lord, for the sake of that which is precious to you. Lord, give us that love for your church, love for people. Help us to be used, O God, by you in whatever way possible to bring others into a living relationship with you that they too might experience the the joy of knowing you, Lord Jesus, as Savior and Lord. We pray in your name.